Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Philly Experience Podcast. My name is Max Gretzula, joined, as always, by WHIP's Tango Martin and WIP's Tyre Hood gentlemen. I tell you what, what a week in Philadelphia sports. Uh, you have Philly's a terrible, terrible road trip, I guess, so far, you could say. Eagles draft, obviously, coming up this Thursday. Um, couple all that with the final week of school. I mean, how how busy w- was the weeks for you two? Uh, man, I'm uh, what is sleep? I, 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 that is the honest question. That should be the permanent question of the day. What is sleep? I have not gotten too much of it, but hey, this is what I live for. Man, I'll tell you what, this part of the semester is very dangerous because you have no class now for the rest of the time, but you still have all these finals, and it's hard to just. You know, you're sitting around, no class, but you got to get that work going, man. I'm, I feel like I might be falling behind a little bit. Okay. Hey, that's the thing. Like before we get into it, you know, you had like you like you mentioned, you have no more classes required for Zoom, and then you got to make sure. All right, am I writing down? I got this project due here. I got this this paper due here, and it's like if you miss one, like completely screwed, it messes up your whole routine. So uh, it's all about you know being disciplined, staying on top of it. What are we in our twelfth? 13th 14th year school now so I mean, I think <laughs> we got what do we got the hang of it i think but uh oh, i'll tell you who doesn't the have the hang of it right now i'll tell you who doesn't have the hang of it and that's right now the philadelphia phillies um sitting right now at 11 and 11 and you know i always mention that baseball is one of those things where you you watch one game and people like to treat it like an eagles game because the eagles play once a week you have the phils who plays every single day so people want to react of course to the win against the st louis cardinals the opening series uh, of course, Zach Wheeler dominating, but we'd be remiss if we forget what happened in Colorado on the road. Um, so there's positives, there's negatives here. I'll throw it to Tanner first on this one because I know he's got some big-time things to say about his boy, Reese Hoskins, who's been on absolute tear lately. Uh, Tanner, I know you like watching little Reese hitting those bombs out the left field. So I let <laughs> love you take watching the, the best. Love watching the best player on the Phillies. Not <laughs> wow. Um, he's. You know what? I, I'll admit, a few a few seasons ago, I was I was teetering on that on that Hoskins train, but I'm I'm firmly in place now. I'm buckled up and I'm on this train. And home runs leader so far. You got Otani over there who's pitching and hitting home runs. So he's going to throw up some competition. But this Phillies team, as you mentioned, uh, it's it's hard to watch every single game because they go in, they play almost every day. And some days they're playing really great. The Phillies that we all imagine them to be. And then other days like that Rockies series, the Rockies are one of the worst teams in the league. And and to get, you know, to lose the series to them, it's embarrassing because before that series even started on social media, everything, oh, we got this series sweep and then and then coming back against the Cardinals. And then, yeah, it's 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 all that that goes into it. And it's also the classic Hector Nares effect in this <laughs> Phillies game, too, that that's going to make you guys cringe because, listen, you have Reese Hoskins. It's two home runs. All right. That's all the Phillies needed, too. And then you have Zach Wheeler pitching an absolute gem in this game. Joe Girardi doesn't feel comfortable. Looks like he's getting a little tired. That 114th pitch um, walks the batter the first. And then within the first two pitches, you got Hector Neres on the man on the mound with a guy on first and third. It's two nothing. And then all of a sudden it's two one and the Cardinals have life. It is so embarrassing to be a Phillies fan when Hector Neris walks up to the mound. I don't know what you guys think. Actually, I do know what you guys think, <laughs> and that Hector Neris is ridiculous, and he shouldn't be a pitcher in the minor, in the major leagues, not even the minor leagues, maybe. 
Wow. Well, see, see, you want you want to take this one because I, I don't even know where to start on my end, but I, I want to throw it to you and just just let you go on a rant here. If it wasn't for the fact that we have injuries in the bullpen, Hector Neves would be an afterthought. I can almost guarantee that because, oh, jeez, man, Hector Neres is about as reliable as a bee not stinging you when you trap it in your hand. Like, it, Hector Neres is about as useless as a tonsil. Why is he still employed by the Philadelphia Phillies is beyond my comprehension. And, it, and I cringe every single time. All right. He gets up to start warming up. I cringe. Cause I'm like, Oh God, here it comes. And then when he comes out to the mound, that's when reality hits me like, Oh bleep. He really is coming out here. Oh no. Oh gosh. And yes. He, the two, one victory. Oh, that was a little too close for comfort. It should not have even come to that. You had one job, one stinking job, get the outs, get the hell out the game. All right. <laughs> get Zach Willow the victory. You couldn't even do that. Right. You had to allow them to score at least one. I, I'm sick of this at this point. All right. I, I'm I understand that this bullpen has injuries and whatnot, but doggone it, we got to find some some people that are better than Hector Neres. There's got to be somebody out there that's better than Hector Neres for crying out loud. I'm, I'm really tired of this. Yeah, listen, I, I want to recap what we missed in the past week and what we got to cover. You know, you you end the or the homestand, excuse me, with with a big time win. You have Andrew Knapp's RBI single. He's going to score Bryce Harper, and we get out of Philadelphia there on a nice homestand. Uh, with some momentum, you know, you're going to play the Rockies uh, in Colorado, knowing, you know, they're a pretty poor team. Hopefully the bats come alive with the high altitude in Colorado. I think going into Friday night's game against the Rockies, you have Velasquez on the mound. In my book, I wrote that down as a loss before it started. You have Velasquez in Colorado. Pitchers get knocked around like crazy. It's Unless you're like, you know, a DeGrom or, or a Kershaw or somebody like that. But pitchers get knocked around like crazy in Colorado. We all know that. And I thought Velasquez going into that game, really, on paper, we weren't favored. We should have lost the game. And we did. Bounce back the next night. You have Noel on the hill. That's a game we have to win. We were able to do so. And then you have the Sunday matchup where, you know, you play the afternoon game. We get out to that 2 nothing lead. Bryce Harper, two solo home runs. You're thinking, okay, let's try to win this series, two out of three. And then, all of a sudden, Chase Anderson falls apart, gives up a base hit to the pitcher, John Gray. And things just the, the rail, everything just went off the rails from there. Not only did we lose that game, Trevor Story hits a grand slam, and uh, you know you you leave Colorado. I think they ended up scoring what twelve or thirteen runs in that game. And you get out of Colorado, uh, losing two out of three to one of the worst teams in baseball. Um, so it's good to come back last night. But let's not take anything away from Adam Wainwright last night. Basically, matched Zach Wheeler pitch for pitch, um, and again Wheeler was able to out him in the end. And uh, you know Reese Hoskins with two solo home runs was was the difference maker but again let's get to the Hector Neris point here I want to get your guys opinion on when you when you Joe Girardi you know sends Zach Wheeler out there for the ninth inning and uh you know we see him trot out there we see him walk that first batter to lead off the game Matt Carpenter by the way who uh, was pitch hitting in the pitcher spot he's batting under 100 this year so that's surprising because Matt Harper Carpenter's been a good player throughout his career and when he comes up to the plate and walks I want to I want to know what's going through your heads are you a guy who maybe uh, sends the pitching the pitching coach out there to talk a wheel or maybe settle him down? Do you, do you agree with the decision to yank him out of the game right there and bring in Hector Neres, or do you just let Wheeler, you know, basically try to work through that first uh, first, I guess, batter that he walked, try to finish off the game? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, um, I think at that point um, after that walk, uh, Zach Wheeler had already had over 100 pitches, so already I'm. 
If I'm a manager, 114, 114. Okay, cool. So at that point, I'm definitely in the back of my mind. I'm like, all right, he's he's really tired. Like I got to, I got to pull him. Like I gotta, I gotta save this win. Like I gotta save him. So at that point, I do have to rely on my bullpen. Is as much as I really don't want to rely on this bullpen, I really don't have that much of a choice. Zach Wheeler did his thing. He did what he was supposed to do. Now the bullpen is supposed to pick up where Zach Wheeler left off. So the bullpen literally just has one job. All right, one stinking job. You literally have one job, and that is to don't f- it up. What do you do? You dog on there, f- it up. I'm sick of it. I just it's it's ridiculous, man. It's we've been complaining about this bullpen for how many years now? It's yeah, it's uh, it's sad. I understand. I understand the situation. Joe Girardi sees Zach Wheeler over there, and I, I know that the storyline of the game is that both these pitchers made it at least to the ninth uh, inning. Now Wainwright was able to get out of the ninth inning, but um, Zach Wheeler unable to get an out in that ninth inning. You have him pitching a perfect game up until the bottom of the fifth. Um, He's just one strike away and um, he lets up that, that single um, with, with two outs left. And for Zach Wheeler to be on the mound, he walks the first batter. His arm looked was looking a little tired. Now, you also have to see who is in the bullpen now. Is a tired Zach Wheeler going to be better than a Hector Neres coming in? Because now you have Hector Neres on the mound, and Zach Wheeler's over there in the uh, um, in the dugout sweating bullets like someone's looking through his browser history. <laughs> and he's worried wow. about his, the gem of a game. Oh, here, we know um, it's hard. Spoiled in, in his head. I know he's thinking, ah, oh, this guy, Hector Neres, over here ruining my gem of yep. a game. But um, it, it's unfortunate that we every time Hector Neres gets on the mound, I want to switch the channel because I already know what's the possibility of happening. Yeah, like, you bring a great point. You, they show the camera angle of Wheeler in the dugout with Joe Girardi. He's got a sweating bullet. You know, he's like kind <laughs> of not to watch the game. Uh, but but no, I think for me, I don't know if I'm old school baseball, but or if it's just the fact that I've seen Hector Neres blow too many games. I get the pitch count was rising, but I don't know. Something about Wheeler last night just looked different for me. I think I would have left him out there. And uh, you have the first pitcher, too, that Hector Neres throws is a rocket. Maton couldn't handle it. It was a hot shot at second base, goes in the center field, and it's first and third, and you're thinking to yourself, all right, well, we're going to lose this game. Not only that, but that last hit by Arnado goes literally to the warning track. I mean, we escaped that game last night, and uh, I think Tom McCarthy, and actually I did too on the call last night, he said he had uh, flashbacks of Odubo Herrera catching that Cole Hamels ball. Uh, that Chris Bryant hit in that uh, no-hitter that Cole Hamels threw against the Cubs at it's Wrigley ridiculous. Field uh, back in, I think, 2015. Uh, so it was pretty crazy. But at the end of the day, Hector Neres, he can't – like, I know we all sit here and harp on every show that him he can't be the closer, and I think we can all agree that he should not be the closer of this team right now uh, based on the fact that every time he comes in, you have no confidence that he's going to be able to get the job done and shut the door. And that's exactly what I thought last night. Like, when Hector Neres came in that game last night and we were up, what was it, 2 nothing at the time? Yep. I said to myself, we're going to lose this game. Like I expected to lose the game because Hector Neres was able to come in uh, or came in and then expected him to obviously blow the lead. And he did let up a run. Yeah, also, I want to bring up what, what's up with Hector Neres mechanics over there on the mound. I don't know if this is new, but I see that back leg on the rubber twitching all the uh, a bunch. I don't know if that's something new he does, but it's definitely freaking me out even more. Um, when, when he gets over there and he's pitching the game. I don't know what's up with that, but he may be nervous. And I know his heart sank when, when that ball went deep in the center field. I, mine yep. sure did. 
he did celebrate a lot though. You saw him yell at that big roar at the end. But uh, another yeah. thing, does he always look tired to you out there? I feel like he's always trying to work through like fatigue. Every time they show the the, the camera up close on him, it almost seems like he's like you know breathing heavily and you know looking up at the sky like oh god get me out of this yeah, game almost <laughs> like i shouldn't be an mlb pitcher but i am and i'm out of phillies about to go. blow another game yeah that's, that's a bunch of low life shoot i would feel the same way too if i kept blowing games and screwing the team over shoot i feel the same exact way yeah. i'm just all saying. right guys let, let's uh let's address the elephant in the room here you have a dubarrier coming back from the minor leagues mickey moniac wasn't able to, to produce uh in center field scott kingry is not able to produce in the alternate site, let alone at the major league level. Adam Hazley, obviously, away from the team right now for unknown reasons. And Roman Quinn, who's probably been the worst Philly on the team this year. So, Odubo Herrera, we, we, we knew he was going to get a shot. We didn't know how soon it would be. And the fact that we went through, what is it now, four options in center field and not one of them was able to take the reins. Odubo Herrera will get his shot to be the everyday man in center field. Uh, me personally, uh, it still remains a question on if he will be the, the guy going forward or if we still have to make another trade as the deadline approaches. But the center field position obviously has been maybe the number one weakness or number two weakness behind the fourth and fifth starters in a rotation. So what are your expectations of Herrera? Obviously, not only on the field uh, with his production, uh, you know, obviously hit 231 in spring, cooled off there towards the end. But do you think you'll be able to get that momentum back playing every day? And also, what about the crowd reaction when we, when we return to Citizens Bank Park uh, this upcoming weekend? Oh, it's going to be a mixed reaction when Adubo Herrera does, you know, finally get that start in center field. It's going to be a mixed reaction. There's nothing you can do about that. It's nothing for him to escape that. Now, given his production, um, ain't been much production in center field. So, really, eh, the expectations ain't too high. He, he really don't have to do a whole lot much of anything to really be better at center field. Literally, just make the make contact with the ball a couple of damn times, and you're already better than Roman <laughs> Quinn. Like, seriously. Like, Roman Quinn can honestly get a better batting average just by bunting and, run, and running out the first base. I swear to you, he could probably get a better batting average. But that's another argument for another day. Like I said, he really doesn't have that much of a competition when Mickey Moniak came in. All right, he had a little bit of a – he started off slow, then he had a little bit of a spark, and that's died off again. Adubo Herrera it literally just has to show up, <laughs> and he's already the best center fielder on the Phillies roster. I'm sorry. It, it's that's just reality. Well, T, you had the controversy going against Adubo Herrera, too. He doesn't just have to show up. He has to show up and impress. That's true. Um, you have Odubel Herrera, Max. You mentioned the booze going back to Citizens Bank, and I think if he would have got maybe at least one hit, there would not have been booze. Um, I think the fans wanted to want to not ease him into it because he doesn't deserve that. Right. But he, he hasn't played since 2019 in a Major League Baseball game. And you have him with the controversy now. He he's put everything um, behind him, but it, it, you're right. It it's the fans and the, and his teammates that that he has to prove himself to. Now, if Odubel starts stinking up the joint, he already went over three in this last game. If he starts sticking up the joints, uh, he's not going to hear the end of it. Um, and it, that's going to be even more difficult when he's in that batter's box trying to get a hit uh, for the first time in what two years. So it's going to be hard for him. And I think maybe there'll be a little booze, but I don't think it's going to be a game stopper or anything no. like that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know, you have a Dubo Herrera who, if he plays poorly, it kind of hurts everybody. It hurts the fans because, you know, they say to themselves, this is a guy that shouldn't even probably be on the team uh, for the most part because of what he did off the field. It hurts himself because he's probably not going to have a job anymore. You have to go either go back to the alternate side or go off, go 
you know, basically get cut off the team. And then it hurts the organization as a whole because they still are not able to solve the problem in the center field. So it's a lot rests on Herrera's shoulders with the fan base, with the organization, with himself as a player. If he's able to produce at a high level, it helps him. It helps the team win ball games. It helps the fans hopefully just at least have something to cheer about and maybe forget uh, or at least, you know, have a distraction on what he did off the field, just be able to try to win the games um, and focus on the baseball aspect of things. But I want to turn the page here and talk about, you know, a lot of transactions that were maybe talked about Herrera, obviously coming back from the alternate site. But you have Jose Alvarado reinstated finally off of the COVID list. Matt Moore reinstated off the COVID list as well. And that's going to bring up some comp- controversy with regard to the fourth starter position, whether that be Vince Velasquez getting the job going forward, which we all know how that usually turns What's out he when he for? becomes a starter. Or do you just let Matt Moore go back out there in the fourth spot in the rotation and try to be able to you know maybe fix some of his mechanics? Because the, the thing is, Spencer Howard obviously getting sent back down to the alternate site. The Phils want to stretch him out as a starting pitcher, so hopefully he'll be back up sometime this summer and be able to step into that fourth starting, you know, fourth spot in the rotation in that starting role. But until then, well, where do the Phillies turn here with with regard to their fourth spot in the rotation? Because I don't think Chase Anderson, even though he did suck against the Rockies over the weekend, I don't think his job is in jeopardy. But I mean, is it is this really all we have? It's either going to be Velasquez or Matt Moore until Spencer Howard figures things out. Unfortunately, that's what it looks like unless you go out and trade for somebody. And even then, you don't have that much trade capital or any trade capital at all to be able to go out and find and trade for someone. And there's not many names out there in free agency that really sticks out. So, yeah, you, you really don't have any choice but to pretty much just wait it out until <laughs> this the unfortunate situation that we find ourselves in. You know, you took your chance on, you know, Chase Anderson developing, and then unfortunately that didn't come to fruition. So, hey we're in a bind yeah yeah bad situation the Phillies are in once again with pitching and the starting rotation now this shows that the Phillies did not do enough uh focusing on the starting rotation they thought they had it all taken care of and it's going to show that that this is going to hurt the Phillies maybe the most uh, aside from that center field position because you have just three pitchers over there who have really you know, shown you enough that they can be a starting, a capable of a starting pitcher, but you have the the bottom two guys who really haven't sh- impressed you at all. Yeah, definitely. And again, it's going to be something we want to uh, be able to monitor uh, when we come back next week and, and be able to talk about everything. You have uh, a big series four gamer with the St. Louis Cardinals in progress. And I, I believe the Brewers are upcoming as well next week. So things don't get easier. It's, it, it feels like the Phillies have not played a poor team yet, except for maybe the Rockies. But every opponent they've faced so far, even the Giants uh, with the 15 and 8 record, ha- have been impressive as well. So, of course, we'll be covering uh, everything leading up to next week's show. And uh, on that note, we got to we got to turn the page again and talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. And, uh, you know, obviously the two stars, Sean Bede and Ben Simmons, need to be mentioned. Tobias Harris and his knee uh, injury, I guess, or something that's been bothering him. He has to be mentioned as well. And, of course, got to get to Shake Melton and his struggles. But. I just want to mention to you guys and even ask you this question about just what they've gone through the past week, obviously coming off of that four-game losing streak with a win last night against the Thunder. But the question is, and I think the biggest thing surrounding this team right now, besides the injuries, is Ben Simmons going to be an MIA for four straight games against really solid opponents and the Bucks twice. You had to play the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors. We all remember Steph Curry about a week ago going off for over 40-plus points. So when you look at Ben Simmons right now, he comes back. He looks like his same old self, aggressive last night. Doesn't look like he had any sort of uh, illness or sickness or effects of what 
you know, the team called an illness or the flu. So do you guys buy into that, that sickness, um, that illness? Um, do you think that Simmons was really sick uh, at the end of the day? Because he came back last night and he looked like that same all-star caliber player. I know he only scored 12 points, but you can tell when his presence is on the court, um, the Sixers are a different, different basketball team. Well, first and foremost, I got to say it was – First off, it was exciting to finally see the main starters back on the floor again. I, I got to say this, seriously, man. It's, it's about damn time. Thank you, LeBron. It, it was about damn time. They finally came back. That is, And I, I couldn't take another, another loss. I truly couldn't. But in terms of Ben Simmons, look – I just got to take it at face value for what it is. Now, there there is another rumor going around as to why Ben Simmons was absent. I'm not going to get into it on these airwaves. Um, I think everybody pretty much knows, you know, what the reason was, supposedly. But I know for a fact that the NBA can, that as the NBA will list that as personal reasons. So because I wasn't listening as personal reasons, I got to believe that he was just legitimately sick. And look, I... Yeah, was yeah, did he just happen to get sick against real, you know, legit competition? Yeah, sure. But I can't I just can't look into that. I just got to believe the fact that he was sick and he's healthy. He came back and Max, you said it. He just has an impact on the on the court. He just does. So I just got to take the benefit of the doubt. Like I'm just glad that he's back and that he's healthy and you know, he's playing basketball again. Yeah, I mean, T, you're right to say that. You don't need to focus on this, um, the drama and everything, the controversy, because we know the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles, have had a bunch of that. And yeah. that's what really takes down a team, too. This uh, Sixers team is in a good spot right now. They're not in the best spot, but they're in a great spot where controversy obviously does not help them at all. And you go ahead, focus on Ben Simmons being at target the day before the game happens and why he's listed as just, you know, it's a, it's a question on why he's not playing. Now, usually a stomach flu lasts two to three days, could be four days. So it's not out of the question that he had a flu, um, but he's coming back at the perfect time. You got this stretch of games where these are going to be deciding what, what seed the Sixers are either first, because if they really take advantage of the stretch, you got the weakest teams uh, looking ahead of you and you got Atlanta twice, right? Twice mm-hmm. in a row. Yep. Yep. Come and on. then at the end you have magic twice in a row, but the only thing that's really going to get the Sixers as I look at their schedule coming up is that I believe starting in May, you're going to be in San Antonio and then you're coming back and then the Sixers are coming back to Chicago. And then um, that'll be on the third. And then right away on uh, on they're going to have to hit the plane. And then on Wednesday, they're going to be back in Texas against the Houston Rockets. So it's going to be a lot of back and forth travel. And then after that, they they um, they they come back home. But I think that's what's really going to get the Sixers, that traveling fatigue and uh, all that that goes into it. But to go over the Ben Simmons drama again, he when he's in the game, um, that's that's what matters. And the effect that he has on the team um, while he's playing and how different they play. And we didn't expect how different the Sixers would play without Ben Simmons. They, I mean, I thought that you, the, uh, the Sixers were going to, be able to take care of business easily against the teams that they lost against with Joel Embiid still playing. But that was a surprise too. And that really proves how you need both these guys. Sixers need both these guys in the playoffs. Definitely. Tanner, you mentioned that uh, upcoming schedule, which is pretty tough, not with the opponents uh, specifically more the travel 
And you're also trying to balancing resting players, uh, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Ben Simmons, resting guys. And obviously, Simmons probably doesn't need rest because he just had, a, I believe, 12 days off. But resting players, but also fighting for that number one seed because if you can get it, you avoid the Bucks in the second round, which is something I think we can all agree on. So what's the balancing act with resting players throughout the rest of the season? I know we have a few back-to-backs, but also still trying to fight and claw our way over top of the Brooklyn Nets for that number one seed. I mean, where's the balance? Where's the line drawn? Look, I've been fighting with this probably the entire weekend um, working. Um, the balance between you know load management and rest and what the older players did in the past and whatnot. And look, it, I cannot judge an athlete's body and how they feel. All I know is they seem to benefit the most when they're resting. And at this point, the Sixers pretty much know where they're at in terms of the playoff contention. We know they're going to the playoffs. So at this point, it's just about keeping everybody healthy and making sure everybody's healthy come playoff time because that's when it really matters. So all this stuff about, you know, they're not playing right now during a regular season. They're not in the first seed. Look, all that stuff is that's minor stuff, man. We already know they're going to the playoffs. They just need to just gear up, rest up and just get ready for playoff ball. Well, Max, you mentioned sitting uh, the these starting guys, and I think you have to. Uh, if I'm Doc Rivers, I'm sitting, you know, Ben Simmons, and maybe the one of the games against the Hawks, and then the other one, maybe I'm sitting Joel Embiid or all at once. I don't know how he's going to do it. I, I think one at a time would be better, maybe. And then you go against. Uh, we mentioned it that at the end of the season, I don't think a lot of the starters should play, uh, depending on how far ahead the Sixers are. Um, but it really, it really is important to win most of the um, the first half of the, the remaining games, because then you're in a great situation with the Sixers where you can afford to, you know, drop a game or two, have the starters sit out. So it's really all about that. And it's all about getting the bench some rest too, because going in the playoffs, these guys are going to get um, some of these guys are going to get more minutes. Now other guys aren't going to really play at all in the playoffs that, that have been getting some play, but you got to make sure everyone's taken care of, uh, physically, and you got to make sure everyone's ready to hop off of that bench, get in there, and and play some basketball, and, and really impress for this team that that needs that needs that step over the Nets right now. Now, don't forget the uh, the Sixers have that tiebreaker over the Nets, so that helps too. And then you look ahead to the Milwaukee Bucks and the Nets schedule; they have a double header uh, coming up. Now uh, they have back to back games um, against each other. Um, I think in the first was that the first week of May, um, the Bucks and the Nets play each other twice. And that's important too. definitely important and definitely a game that, that Sixers fans should watch. And there's rumors going around right now that the Bucks actually might rest some players versus the Brooklyn Nets because they want to push Brooklyn to that number one seed and be able to face Philadelphia in round two, uh, basically saying to themselves, you know, Philadelphia is obviously the weaker opponent in their opinion. So. We'll see what happens. But last night, 20 steals against Oklahoma City Thunder. First time since 1987, I believe, they had 20 steals. And the deflections were a stat, and we count those. And I'm, I know they are, but we, we overlook them. I think the Sixers might have had 20 to 30 deflections last night. And with Simmons on the floor and his defensive prowess, I tell you what, every time he's out there, it feels like he not only grabs a bunch of steals and plays great defense, but the deflections with him and Matisse Thibel being able to get blocks too is uh, ultra impressive. Yeah, and you know what else was the really the difference in this OKC game opposed to that Saturday 
just brutal game uh, against the Bucks was three point shooting because in that Bucks game in total the Sixers made seven threes in this game the in Monday's game uh, the Sixers made seven threes in the first half and um, I think they ended with what 14 yep. 14 of 31 um, shot above the arc and um, yeah that's that's the difference maker definitely you, now you can go ahead and say well th- listen that's the rebuilding thunder and it's not really impre- it, it doesn't matter it's about fundamentals and how this team's going to practice and, and get better now before we move on here I want to ask you guys real quick about Shake Melton and, and Tyrese Maxey I want you to give me your thoughts uh, with Tyrese Maxey throughout the first I guess however many games we played his rookie season so far there's people who've been out there and said, you know, he's a little too aggressive. He's a little out of control at times. Uh, and other times he just doesn't get the playing time. Then you have Shake Milton, on the other hand, who's, in my opinion, playing himself out of playoff minutes with the performance that he's been putting out on the floor lately. So just your rundown real quick is Shake Milton and uh, Tyrese Maxey. So the thing with Tyrese Maxey, Tyrese Maxey is young. All right. He's got to figure out how to, how to play ball. He's on a, he's on a team with a bunch of veterans and guys that are ahead of him. And, he, and he's not going to get the playing time that you would usually see from a young guy that's really trying to develop. So Tyrese Maxey, I think with more time and more development, I think he'll develop his game. It, now the thing with Shake Milton is Shake Milton is basically the sixth man on this team. And he is relied upon to be, you know, that, that energy coming off of the bench. So look, <laughs> the Sixers need Shake Milton, especially going into the playoffs. The Sixers need production from Shake. There's no getting around it. Like you're not really going to get a whole bunch of scoring production from the other guys on the bench. You're not going to get scoring production from Dwight Howard. You're not going to get scoring production like that from Matisse Thibel. All right. So you Shake Milton is that guy where you need some kind of production. You need him to be that energy coming off of the bench. So, look, Shake's got to get it together. I think Shake will eventually get it together. And, you know, he realizes that when that outside jumper isn't hitting, he'll um, he'll dish to the inside or he'll dish it out for assists. So, Shake's a smart guy. I think he'll get himself together. I'm not worried about Shake at all. But in terms of Maxi, Maxi just needs time and development. He's a young guy. He's 19, something like that. He's young. He'll develop. Yeah, I'm not so concerned with the, either of these two players because I think they're a great piece on the Sixers team, especially. And you have Shake Melton, who who is a very important role on the Sixers team. Now, sometimes he doesn't find his groove, but you have other guys around him that do like Furkan Korkmaz, and, and when he's off, he's on, and, and vice versa. But Tyrese Maxey is very young, and already he's impressing me with the production he's putting up, the way he moves around that court, the way he plays against guys who are so much bigger than him already at such a young age. And I feel very confident with this pickup, especially the Sixers. And I haven't been able to say that in a while um, for the Sixers. But Tyrese Maxey, um, he's impressive. Now, he's not going to get as many minutes in the playoffs, um, which is reasonable, and we understand that. But I think that – just giving Tyrese Maxey time. He's developing. Now he's got George Hill um, over there and to learn. And he's got plenty of other guys uh, to just sit and watch. This is a perfect position if you're Tyrese Maxey. I think Tyrese Maxey this season, again, like team mentioned, is obviously young, still finding his way in the league. But it's a guy who I, I, I mentioned him because of the fact where we talk about resting guys down the stretch. You look back at that Nuggets game, I keep thinking about early in the season when he had 30-plus points, close to 40. I believe 39 points he had in that game. So this is a guy who's, uh, in my opinion, hungry for minutes. He will, you know, go all out every single possession he's on the court. And it's a guy that Sixers might have to rely on uh, if they're going to rest 
some of these players down the stretch and a guy that you could see uh, possibly getting more opportunity before the postseason. Now, Max, I will say this before we do in the Sixers talk. Um, Unfortunately, with the amount of games that Joel Embiid has missed, I am afraid that it takes him out of the MVP race, and I think that the MVP is going to be the Joker Nikola Jokic. I'm honestly, it's it pains me to say that. It really does. It's tough because you have a guy like Joel Embiid, who I think we can all agree when he's on the floor is has been the best player, maybe the most most valuable player to his team this season. But again, to you mentioned it, the games missed. I think he's up to nineteen or twenty games missed now. Mm-hmm. And that's just probably too many games. I know uh, the, I thought, in my opinion, with, with the Joker, Nikola Jokic out there in Denver, I thought the only hope was hopefully Denver finishes maybe with that fifth or sixth seed because of the fact they lose Jamal Murray and the Sixers, if they can get that one seed, that would make a big-time dis- difference. But uh, but you're right. It, it's it's going to be hard, I think, for Embiid to win it. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, listen, I, th- I think when we look forward to these next couple weeks, uh, going into the postseason basketball, again, it's just a grit and grind type of time right now. And again, I think our opponents are pretty weak for the most part going forward. Hopefully we can get some easy wins. And uh, for those of you who, uh, you know, said, you know what guys just hurry up. I want to hear about the Eagles talk. I want to hear about the Eagles talk. <laughs> uh, here it is. So you guys are going to get it right. Get now. off the uh, box. The last episode before the NFL draft, Philadelphia Eagles hold the 12th overall pick still at this point in time, whether that be the case on draft night or not, it remains to be seen. So what we've talked about the past, I don't even know, two months at this point maybe, has always been wide receiver versus cornerback. We hear names coming out like J- Jalen Waddle, like Devontae Smith, like J.C. Horn, like Patrick Sertan. And I think Ray Dininger, again, said it best, the Alabama triangle. The Alabama triangle is what the Eagles need to focus on, whether it be Devontae Smith, whether that be Jalen Waddle, or whether it be Patrick Sertan. Now, last week we sat on the show and we talked about what position uh, and player related that the the Eagles should target. You know, I took cornerback. I believe both of you guys took wide receiver. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Right. So when we talk about – when you guys talk about Devontae Smith and and Jalen Waddle, you mentioned the fact that you want to get Jalen Hurts some weapons. And, you know, you have to see what you have with Jalen Hurts if he's the guy you're going to go with because right now I don't think the Eagles even themselves know if this is the guy they want to go with in the future. So – my first question, I guess, and we could discuss this back and forth, is people, and especially on, on Sports Talk Radio uh, recently, within the last few days I've heard, have said, will Howie shy away from his draft board because of the fact he doesn't buy a Jalen Hurts right now a lot? If a player like Justin Fields were to fall to pick 12, would he shy away from that and go quarterback? Ooh, dear God in heaven. Now we're tough. Oh, man. I, I truly hope not. Look, we don't need no more. We don't need no more goddamn quarterback controversy. We don't. All right, I'm I'm sick of it at this point. All right, too late, T. Too oh late. God, like that's what started the whole thing last year in the first damn place. It's the reason why Carson Wentz. One of the reasons why Carson Wentz is gone now is because you started the damn quarterback controversy. Because a quarterback supposed to be fell to you that you couldn't live without. Now it looks like that quarterback is going to be the starting quarterback for your Philadelphia Eagles. So please, if listen, I, I love Justin Fields as a prospect. I do. Like I, I truly love his game. But please, for the love of God, do not draft Justin Fields. Please don't don't trade up for him. Don't know. All right. Let's see what we have in Jalen Hurts. All right. We don't please put playmakers around this young quarterback. Listen, I don't care 
how talented of a quarterback you have, unless that quarterback has weapons to throw to, unless that quarterback has an offensive line to block for him, I don't care. Listen, please don't draft the damn quarterback. It doesn't matter how good that damn quarterback is if you don't have playmakers. All right, we've wasted draft picks in the past couple of seasons on on right receivers that that have not so far panned out. I'm not going to say that they're bust yet, but they have not panned out. Okay, I, I will say our thicker white side is a bust at this point. Our thicker white side is about as useless as a pinky toe. I, I'm going to say that right Ooh. now. <laughs> All right. Our thicker white side is completely useless. And Jalen Rager is still in question mark, so I'm not going to call him a bust yet. But so far, I'm not getting the production I should get from those high draft picks. So at this point, that's why I'm pushing for a right receiver. You need a playmaker. Do not draft no damn offensive linemen, all right, because none of them are real outside of Panay Sewell are worthy of being drafted within the top 15, all right? Do not draft a damn defensive line because the defensive line draft this year ain't really that good. So that being said, draft a damn playmaker. You are in a prime position to do it. Draft a damn playmaker don't screw this up, Howie. Yeah, I'll tell you what. If the Eagles draft a quarterback, as Eminem would do, I'm cleaning out my closet. Because <laughs> I'm done. Uh, are you kidding me? Um, if the Eagles draft a quarterback, now, of course, I'll always be an Eagles fan. Let me backtrack there. Uh, but I'll be definitely frustrated. Why not? I think the best option for the Eagles is to really figure out what they have in a quarterback, Jalen Hurts. Now, this competition between Joe Flacco, and this isn't 2016 or 15 or whatever. This is or 2012. This is Joe Flacco, who has been on three different teams in the last three seasons, and he's not the Super Bowl MVP that he used to be. And for Nick Sirianni to go up there and say, oh, we're not going to name a starting quarterback. We have both these guys. Absolutely absurd. Absurd to say that Joe Flacco is going to put Jalen Hurts out of his starting job. It's ridiculous. But I think the best option for the Eagles to do is draft a wide receiver and more specifically Devontae Smith because you have that chemistry with Hurts. But uh, to draft a wide receiver is to really see what this Eagles team has at quarterback, give him all he needs for him to be able to be successful. Because you know what? If Jalen Hurts doesn't work out, the next draft you have three first rounds hopefully, depending on how Carson plays. And you have, what, 60 mil in cap space in free agency that you're going to be able to spend. So why not see what you have here? Because first off, Howie Roseman drafted Jalen Hurts. So what, is he going to prove himself wrong if, if he doesn't side with Jalen Hurts and help him out? Then, all right, you you messed up on that Jalen Hurts pick, but you picked this guy. Now we have to wait another year to see if you were right with there. It makes no sense it's what this stupid. team is doing right now. And I hope that they draft a wide receiver first, and that's why. Yeah, here's my thing. If Jalen Rager turned out to be a good player last year, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. We that's wouldn't. where my frustration lies. And I, I think the only reason I say take a cornerback is because not only their division is ridiculous with the, with the wide receiver talent that you have, but you got to be able – and, and obviously stopping them is, is key. But you just have to have somebody back there in your secondary. And, again, T, playmaker, you say the name playmaker. Playmaker could be a corner. Playmaker could be a wide receiver. I agree. So, And, again, like, like I'm not going to sit here and tell you. If, if I hear the name Devontae Smith called at pick 12, you know as, as well – you guys know as well as I do. I think we're all going to be going, you know, hell yes. Thank God we got Devontae Smith, superstar, a stud. But when you talk about a team and development in this team – 
I know I, I shouldn't, uh, you know, I shouldn't hold a grudge about this, but I just feel like Jalen Rager needs to show me something this year. And I said it back a couple weeks ago, you know, for me, picking a cornerback is me putting a lot of faith that most people won't do. Most people won't put a lot of faith and trust in the fact that Jalen Rager t- takes a step forward. But I'm one of those guys that's willing to do so. I'm willing to bet that Jalen Rager can come into his own this upcoming season, be a legit – now, listen, he's not going to be a number one receiver, but he's going to be a legit weapon to have on that Eagle offense for Jalen Hurts. Now, is he going to be as big of a superstar as Devontae Smith and, has, and that potential? No, but not too many people are in the world. No, no, Not too many people in the entire world have the skill set Devontae Smith does. But this guy was drafted in the first round. I know he's not Justin Jefferson, and that's kind of why the people harp on him and you know kind of give him a little – you know, a hard time in the, in the city of Philadelphia. But if he's able to step up this year uh, and, and be able to produce, uh, I'd say, you know, maybe try to get near that thousand yard mark and be able to stay healthy for a full 16 games. And if not, at least 14 or 15, I think it gives the Eagles a legit weapon. We still have to see what goes on with Zach Ertz. I know we don't expect him to be on the team. We'll see what kind of, you know, draft capital we get in a trade with him. Uh, you have Andre Dillard coming back from injury. Hopefully he's able to take a step forward. I know T and I uh, off camera had this discussion um and and that's kind of where the topic i want to go next here and andre dillard a guy that people you know you hear the name and they cringe because he hasn't done anything in an eagle uniform but my thing is and again this is a lot of people say if penny sewell's there draft them i wouldn't have a problem with that either but when you have an offensive line that's going to get a healthy lane johnson back hopefully a healthy brandon brooks back jason kelsey's going to stay another year uh has not he's taken step small steps back but not one of those steps that jason peters took if I can make it that comparison where you watch him play. And you're like, Why? That's a hell of a comparison. You know, he shouldn't be on the field. He hasn't taken that big of a step back, so he should still be competitive. And I think with my allotted that's shown some flashes last year and hopefully Dillard uh, coming back from that injury where he hasn't played uh, all but, what, two or three games in an Eagle uniform, I want to get your thoughts on not not the player, not the player specifically, not the talent, because I know he's he's not been obviously what we expected but the opportunity for him to stick with this team and get the opportunity to play. Because it's one thing if he came in his rookie year, played 16 games, played 15 games, and was terrible. He was allowing sacks on Carson Wentz the entire season. But this is a guy that got hurt. You know, he hasn't played worth a damn near anything in the NFL yet. And I think you got to at least see what you have in him before you move on and just say, okay, we're, we're kicking that first-round pick to the wayside. Yeah, but how do you how do you get the chance to see that when you do have two solid tackles um, on the outside? I mean, look, Lane Johnson's going to come back, and he's going to play better than he, than he played last year. All right, he's not going to be hampered by that ankle anymore. And then I, I do think, honestly, that you have a solid future left tackle in Jordan Mailata. Like, he played really well last year, all right, in Andre Dillon and Jason Peters' absence. So – the tackle situation is already squared up. I'm sorry. Um, it, it was Andre Dillard's spot to lose. Now, I don't know how, you know, I'm not going to get into, you know, how much pain he can take and things of that nature. I'm not going to get into that stuff. But I will say this. You, he wasn't available. And the reality is because he wasn't available, someone else had to step up in his place, and that was Jordan Mailata, a seventh-round draft pick. Now, of course, you would rather have your – any team would have rather have their first-round draft pick, you know, step into, you know, that position, but he wasn't available. And so the guy that was drafted in the seventh round that was supposed to be a project, he stepped up, he developed, now he's solid – he looks solid, and he's probably going to go into the year as the starting left tackle. So, look, 
as much as I don't, you know, as much as I wanted Andre Dillard to be that guy, and trust me, I, every draft pick we draft, I want I want them to be the guy. I want them to, you know, develop, especially when you're a first-round draft pick. I mean, just justify the fact that you were a first-round draft pick. But he hasn't. He hasn't been available. That's on Andre Dillard. Circumstances happen. But, hey, look here. I got to do what I got to do as a football team. And the fact that he hasn't been available is a problem. And that, and that also speaks volumes to, you know, if I can rely on you in the future. So why would I put my trust in somebody that I can't even rely on to stay on the field? I'm just going to go with Jordan Malata. It's unfortunate and it's a shame, but it's almost another blemish on Howie Roseman's draft record. It really is. Oh, God. Now I'm thinking about that draft because that draft was horrible. First two damn rounds is Jordan freaking Malata and damn J.J. Ortega Whiteside. That is a bad draft yeah it's brutal and then you you go uh full circle mentioning howie roseman and i think that the problem for the eagles is they're not seeing these young talents before it's you know before it's time to actually have to plug them in because they wait last second you know lane johnson i mean i'm still not confident lane johnson is going to be able to you know quick snap back in the in the play and and not have that ankle bother him at all we don't know how that's going to go really but you have um you have um these these tackles who aren't really proven yet and that you have to you say you're gonna have to plug these guys and we shouldn't have to say that at all i mean we're just eagles fans but really you have to you have to settle uh, for these guys coming in after Lane Johnson's not on the team anymore. It, it's kind of ridiculous that the depth on, on this Eagles team and the priorities that have obviously been, you know, been, been taken uh, for positions and then other positions just not regarded until you absolutely need them until you're in emergency mode. And I think that's what the Eagles problem is not really knowing what position should go first and last on this poll. Well, I think I'm, 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 I, I guess the, the word to use is just on a different side of the coin here because, like you mentioned, we don't know what Lane Johnson is, how it's going to be, but we have depth on the offensive line, and that's one thing I like. My lot of Dillard, we'll see what happens with Dillard, but my, we got names, but my lot of Dillard, definitely more depth than we had last year. You have Lane Johnson. You have, you know, Isaac Sayamalo still, who Howie has spoke highly of. You hopefully have Brandon Brooks coming back off of that injury. So you have names on the offensive line. I think – uh, I'm in a minority here when it comes to thinking about what this Eagles offense is going to be in 2021. Personally, I don't think it's going to be as bad as what people say. If the roster and the offense stays um, mostly what it is right now, you have a solid tight end in Dallas Scott. I don't think people realize how good of a tight end he is sometimes because he hasn't, he's been, you know, behind Zach Ertz for the most of his career. I think he's going to be a good player. I'm higher on Jalen Rager than most coming into this upcoming season. Miles Sanders. We'll see. He's not going to be asked to be the three-down back. He's going to have help with Boston Scott as kind of that scat back. And then you also have Jordan Howard, who I'm, again, still a fan of Jordan Howard. I think he's a solid running back. He's not going to be asked to carry the ball 20 times a game. You know, people think of Jordan Howard. Oh, man, he can't carry the ball 20 times a game and get you over 100 yards. Like, people hear a running back's name and they say, oh, you know, all because he's not putting up Ezekiel Elliott numbers doesn't mean he can't be a good player for the team. I think that rotation of running backs is pretty solid. So, Jalen Hurts, again, who I know we're all – you know, one in the C shine adding Devontae Smith certainly helps or Jalen Waddle specifically. Those two guys, definitely, of course, they're, they're stud players. They're going to come in day one and hopefully improve this offense. But I have more concerns about the defensive side of the football as a whole. And for those reasons, that's why I just value the cornerback position and plug in the Patrick Sertan, one of the most fundamentally sound corners coming out of the draft in a very long time to just plug in there and help out Darius Slay in the secondary. 
And uh, if you're able to stop, uh, you know, but not let the opposing teams, of course, score as many points as we did let up last year, which was a ton, especially in those division games with Dak Prescott now coming back healthy. I think it gives the Shells a better a better shot of winning more football games. But I, I think the disagreement here with us is you guys just think the offense is not going to be as great as, you know, I think they could potentially be. Well, first off, you know, well, Ezekiel Elliott isn't even putting up Ezekiel Elliott numbers anymore. But, right, um, no, no. But you know what I mean? Like the, like the 20 to 25 carry bell cow type. Yeah, yeah I got like you. 80 to 100. Yeah, 80 yeah, to 100. I got, yeah, I got what you're saying. And, that's because, you know, this, I mean, the offense looked pedestrian, you know, this past season. I'm sorry. Even when Jalen Hurts did come and they gave him a, a little bit of a spark and they looked a little bit more competitive, but you, you're still, you still for the most part have the same offense that's out there on the field. And the, the reality is this offense needs playmakers in order for it to move. Yeah, sure. We got great running backs, but if a defense stacks the box, you're not going to be able to move that damn ball on the ground. You're going to need to throw it. So you're going to need receivers that are going to catch the damn ball. First off, those receivers are going to need to beat beat whatever press or whatever coverage that they're running into. Then on top of that, they got to run crisp routes to get open. Then can they be relied on to catch the damn ball? Right now, we don't have any receivers that, you know, we can honestly say that they, they can do that. And trust them to that we, that they can do that. So that's where my beef is, and with um, you know, with that situation, me personally, and how I feel about the offense. I mean, look, it, look. I honestly think both sides really need a, a infusion of talent. To be honest with you, but I think offense is really going to be the crux of this team. And well, I mean, well. They got some hope unless they start playing rock, paper, scissors with the other team. <laughs> That's an option, apparently. <laughs> Jeopardy. Jeopardy, too. Um, yeah, Max, I think you're not alone on this Jalen Rager island, by the way. I'm I'm there, too. Um, I think Jalen Rager is going to step up this season. But listen, who else do the Eagles have at that wide receiver position that you you know really hopeful for? That's why I want the Eagles to go ahead in the first round draft a wide receiver because I think that they can afford to draft a wide receiver in the first round and still find a valuable cornerback in the second round. And I I do see where you're going with this offense and and, uh, compared to the defense. And this defense is going to need a lot of help. I mean, I bring it up all the time with the wide receivers and the competition that that's going to show and how these cornerbacks are going to be complete. Talk about on an Island. These, these quarterbacks are going to be on an Island, but um, yeah, I think that now let me first say that I, it worries me that Devonta Smith is getting so much hype because I personally am not, I don't think Devonte Smith's going to be the best wide receiver in the league. A lot of other people think he's the best thing to ever happen um, to the wide receiver position. And I, I don't, I'm not going with the hype. Um, I think he's going to be an impressive maybe wide receiver, but I don't think he's going to be putting up numbers like Justin Jefferson did in his first season. Uh, but I think he's a valuable piece to a team with um, that, that's going to complement Jalen Rager because there you have two wide receivers, second round, you pick up a cornerback that that's all right. And then you have, you're in a better position already than you were last season. You have guys like Terrence Marshall. Uh, you have guys like Rashawn Bateman out of Minnesota. Those guys are two receivers that are mocked in the second round. The Eagles could still target if they were to go corner in the first round. Uh, either way, you're not going to, you know, they're second round picks for a reason. You're not going to find a better corner in the second round than you would in the first round. Same thing with the wide receiver position. But again, there's guys there in the second round. Kadarius uh, Tony from Florida. Again, Tanner Gear Gators had a great season with Kyle Trask. There's cornerback. He's mocked in the second round as well. 
so there's names, but again, there's also cornerbacks that could still fall to the second round. I know Caleb Farley's falling down mock drafts because of the fact that his back injuries uh, causing him to miss uh, or at least scare a lot of people. Probably so, would have been the number one corner if it wasn't for his injuries. Possibly, yeah, possibly. And then you have um, it's a name I'm blanking on his name, but there's another cornerback that I should know the name of, and I can't think of it at the time. Oh, it's not Samuel Junior. There it is. Oh, Sunday man, Junior. Yeah, and he's been a guy that's of course been mocked in the second round or even third round, I think, in some. So, of course, those those are two two like like I think we can all agree if we go one position in the first round, come back and try to grab. Uh, whether it be the wide receiver, cornerback, vice versa, in the second round, and you get out of there in the first two rounds with hopefully two good players, I think. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the hope. Now, real quick before we get out of here, I just got to close this question with you guys because I kind of got into it a little bit over the weekend with John Johnson when I was producing for him, and it it it's been a question mark, you know, for the most part for hosts, you know, especially after the press conference. Um, a lot of people are still concerned that Nick Sirianni did not name Jalen Hurts to start. I just wanted to ask you guys if that really bothers you. Me personally, it, it really doesn't bother me. If anything, you can do that with a guy like Jalen Hurts, whose, men- whose mental capacity is a whole lot better than the class quarterback that we had and we traded away. So right. I-, I just feel as though that's that's not going to bother him. If anything, that's going to fuel him. I mean, of course, the-, the only competition that he has so far, you know, before this before the draft even happens is Joe Flacco, and that's not really any competition at all. But well, just me personally, I just feel like <sighs> – I understand you, you want to name the starting quarterback to, you know, get rid of all the controversy because that's what happened, you know, this past season and whatnot with Carson Wentz. But look, Jalen Hurts just isn't that type of guy. And I'm not in a rush to name a starting quarterback. And Jalen Hurts is the type of dude to go out and prove it. Unlike the last quarterback that we had who wanted everything given to well, him. Well, T, T, listen, the, the problem is that Jalen Hurts is, and I went on a whole rant about this um, earlier in the show, Jalen Hurts is being disrespected. You have the owner of the team last season or at the end of last season, you know, and just a couple of months ago um, saying that Jalen Hurts was the starting guy. And then fast forward a few months. Well, first of all, in the middle, you have Howie Roseman looking for that third overall pick to draft a, a quarterback. And then Stupid. fast forward again, uh, Joe Flacco is is picked up by the Eagles for a decent amount of money for for a guy who who is and they were in competition with other teams. They outbid other teams for Joe Flacco. And then to say that there's a competition between some, what, 36-year-old, 34-year-old, maybe Joe Flacco, who uh, his prime was in 2012. Um, It's it's ridiculous uh, for Jalen Hurts. And now I now it's not going to affect Jalen Hurts the same way it affected um, the guy who apparently we're not going to name um, <laughs> this episode, but um, but I, I think I actually already mentioned him earlier. So Carson Wentz um, <laughs> and how it's going to affect his ego as much as um, Jalen Hurts is a is a stronger uh, uh, player in that in that aspect of the game. Now he's down to business. He knows what he wants, and he doesn't have to whine and cry for it. Uh, because he'll show it on the field instead. And that's that's my problem with it is the disrespect. Now, I know you're not going to name the starter, but come on now. Joe Flacco is going to put up this competition? I agree with Tanner. That last point says it all. I really don't have to uh, go any further. I think Joe Flacco, uh, no, come on, let's be real with ourselves. That's the problem that I have. Like, let's if be it was real, a, yeah. That's if true. it was a legit guy, uh, a legit backup, like, I, and, and even even backup quarterbacks in, in a competition or something like that, 
bad, you know, you know who has a competition at quarterback? Bad football teams. That's who has a competition at quarterback. You look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, Mike Glennon and Gardner Minshew. I mean, just terrible, terrible teams that have quarterback competitions. Just come out in the media. We know who the starting quarterback is. Say it's Jalen Hurts and move on. We're not going to sit here and buy into the fact that Joe Flacco is legitimately competing with this starting job. Now, T, I think we can all agree here. You're not saying to the to the people uh, that there should be competition. No. What your point is, it's going to fuel Jalen Hurts. It's not really going to bother him that yes, much. Yes, that's that's all I'm trying to say. It's just going to yeah. fuel him because he's he's a competitive yeah. guy. He's not soft hearted. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, Max, uh, to go on your point about bad teams and quarterback competition, I mean, it could, our situation, the Eagles, uh, as an Eagles fan base, uh, could be, you know, worse. We could be the Chicago Bears fan base, oh, who a couple drafts ago drafted up and they missed Patrick Mahomes. They get Mitch Trubisky. And then they have a guy like Andy Dalton coming in Chicago, talk about quarterback competition, but there was none because they say to Trubisky, all right, get the hell out of here, go to Buffalo. <laughs> and then yeah. so Andy, Andy Dalton's over here. And one thing before we wrap up um, to add to the rumors of this draft that's coming up, and we're going to have the show about it. Uh, the Chargers quickly deleted this tweet that said they get the number 11 pick and the Giants trade down to 13 and then they get a number 77 overall draft pick too. So that's something to look at if it becomes actually official because that's very helpful to the Eagles. Got that right. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think we can all agree with that. And, of course, everybody go out there and enjoy the show. See, I know you got a couple of words to say before you want to shut this down. Yeah, you know, you, you guys missed any of this, you know, episode, you can always go to philly-experience.simplecast.com, available on all major downloadable platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And like Tanner said, we will be doing a live draft show reaction on our instagram which you can follow at the philly experience podcast on twitter we are at the philly exp1 on twitter don't you're not gonna want to miss it because uh, i if howie screws this up i, I kid you not I, I don't know what i'm gonna do guys I, I i really don't i might i might just have to change allegiance to my favorite team i just might i want me some glory hope in my opinion, that sucked. Get off the box! Because that guy doesn't yeah. know what the hell he's doing. Crap-ass Vargas. You make me <laughs> no, no. sick.